God loves you. He really loves you. And he wanted to reveal himself so we could know him. And together we could help the world. And so that is why we have the Bible. The Bible is his word to us. But so many people don't understand it. Or they've just been told the wrong things about it. So many things affect the way we interpret the Bible, look at the Bible, or think about the Bible. And you know what? Too often we become bored with the Bible. So this is a podcast to hopefully refresh our relationship with the Bible and in turn refresh our relationship with God. My name's Ken and I'm your guide on this refresh journey. And my prayer and hope is that it would be a fruitful one for both you and me. So welcome to my podcast. Let's dive in. Okay, all this battling in Matthew between Jesus and the religious leaders, him going to the temple, clearing it out, telling them straight up what's wrong with them and all that stuff, and them not really fully getting it. It's kind of funny, right? But man, it's it's heating up. So what's going to happen here as we continue chapter 22 in Matthew? I'm kind of excited to see. So I'm in the English Standard Version, uh, Matthew chapter 22, where we left off last uh Yesterday was the end of verse 14, so we're going to start in verse 15. Um, It looks like Jesus is done with the parables of kicking the butts of the religious leaders with those parables, and we are just going back to normal text here with Matthew. So verse 15, Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his talk. So the Pharisees are the religious leaders. After he's just kind of chewed them out with all these parables and shamed them and all this stuff, they leave and they begin to to plot. They begin to sit there and plan a way to uh, to entangle him, to trap him. Because he's basically been winning every time. Verse 16, And they sent their disciples to him, along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully. And you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Okay, so there were two sides. People who thought that it was lawful to pay to Caesar, the occupying government of the Roman Empire, and then there were more nationalist people, Zionists, and well, Zionists is a new term, but anyways, um, that were thinking that it's they shouldn't be paying taxes to Caesar because they're an occupying illegal force and they should only give money to the temple. And so they sent the disciples with the Herodians. Basically, they sent two different camps. Some that believe you should and some that believe that you shouldn't. So that was their plan. Their plan was, let's get two groups that disagree and then ask Jesus what his take is on their disagreement. But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard it, they marveled, and they left him and went away. So, Jesus comes into Jerusalem and he goes on the offensive. He goes in the temple, he clears it out, he starts telling the the Pharisees and the religious leaders all the things that suck about them and now he's on defensive they're coming at him and now he's you know lobbing up defenses and he's digging these spikes really well 
and they go away because they got defeated. They came to try to trap him, and he doesn't say it's you shouldn't pay or you should pay to Caesar. He just says, give to Caesar what Caesar's, give to God's what's God's. The people who believe you shouldn't give anything to Caesar believe everything is God's. The people who believe you should give something to Caesar believe that Caesar is rightfully due his taxes. So his answer actually applies and satisfies both parties. He also sees that what they're trying to do is not actually get information. They don't really care what the true answer is. What they want is to trap him. And so that's why it says he sees their malice and he answers this way. Okay, verse 23. Once again, this battle continues. The same day, Sadducees came to him who say that there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question saying, Teacher, Moses said, if a man dies having no children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up children for his brother. Now there were seven brothers among us. The first married and died, and having no children, left his wife to his brother. So to the second and third, down to the seventh. After them all, the woman died. In the resurrection, therefore, of the seven, whose wife, sh- whose wife will she be? For they all had her. Okay, so the Sadducees are Jewish political leaders. So you have the Pharisees, which are Jewish religious leaders, and then the Sadducees are the Jewish political leaders. And they actually didn't believe in the resurrection. So they were Jews, but they were more about political power and stuff, and they didn't believe in this this resurrection. Then they bring up the Mosaic Law, that you know when a, when a man dies and leaves a wife, the brother, if he's not married, needs to marry her. And so they go through the scenario where she marries all seven brothers. And then they ask, in the resurrection, who will she be married? Surely they've used this argument before against the Sadducees or when there's been a disagreement about the resurrection. This is their kind of clever way of saying the Mosaic law, which you believe and hold to, is not compatible with this idea of being resurrected and having new life again. And so this is their apologetic Verse 29, but Jesus answered them, you are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. So Jesus says, look, you're wrong about this whole test you've been using because you don't know anything about the Bible or God. Okay. Verse 30, for in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the resurrection of the dead, Have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. And when the crowd heard it, they were astonished at his teaching. So Jesus says, your premise is all wrong. She won't be married to any of them in the resurrection, because there is no marriage in the resurrection. We are all like angels. We are all just worshiping God, fully content, fully fulfilled. No need for that. So it's kind of interesting because even today we think about, you know, meeting up our, with our parents or our grandparents or our loved ones in heaven. And even though they may be there, we all may be together in the new earth, the way we function and even who we are is just going to be so different and it really so much better that he's saying it's, it's, you're not thinking correctly about it. You just don't understand how it is. But then he addresses their main issue, which is they don't believe in the resurrection, and he goes back to the scriptures. And he says, look, being the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it's not past tense. He's the God, he was the God of Abraham, who's now dead, and there's no more, but is the God of Abraham, who still is. So that's why he says, 
even if you just look at the language of the scripture over and over and over again, and the commands given us to by God, he speaks of these past prophets, these past men of faith as present, as still existing. And so you can't be God of the dead, you have to be God of the living. And the people are once again impressed. Verse 34, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Alright, so this is like, Pharisees come, they fail. Sadducees come, they fail. Pharisees come back. And so they, they, get, a, they get their lawyer, the smart guy, the smartest guy in the group, right? Verse 36. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And by the way, lawyer means lawyer of the Jewish Mosaic law, not lawyer of like, you know, you stole my donkey. Okay. So verse 37, and he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So here Jesus is taking all the prophets, all the law, all the Old Testament, all everything that the Pharisees have studied their entire lives. And he says, love God and love people. He goes, everything else is based on that. And they have nothing to say. So, love your neighbor as yourself. That's the golden rule. That's where this comes from. And he says, that, love, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. So, every being of you. So, your heart, make sure he's your first love. Okay? Uh, your soul, make sure he's what you devote yourself to and you worship. And your mind... Make sure that he occupies your thoughts and dominates your mind in every way. This means loving God consumes you. When you think about loving someone, if you're in love with a woman or a guy and you want to marry them or you're just, you're so, you know, you're so over head over heels with them, you can't get them out of your mind. Right? And so that's loving them, you know, with with your mind and you know, they're in your heart. You would do anything for them. And then, you know, we call them soulmates. Right, So this is really the language Jesus is using here that we kind of borrow much years later when we talk about love. So verse 41, now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question. Okay, so now he's, he's done being on defense. He's going back on offense saying, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? Christ was a word for Messiah. So he's asking, what do you think about the Messiah? And they said to him, the son of David. So they know that the Messiah needs to come from the line of David. And so he's not the direct son of David, but he's the son of David in, in the sense that he will be in the line of David. So David will be his great, 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 great grandfather or whatever it may be. And they know this because that's true from the prophets. In the Old Testament, when it talks about the Messiah, one of the requirements was that it needs to come from the line of David. Because David has the line of kings. David's throne, David's line remains the throne line, the kingship line. And so the Christ needs to be the king. So the, the, the Christ, the Messiah, is the king of Israel. He's the, the high priest. He's a prophet. So he's all these different things. And for him to be the king of Israel, he needs to come from the line of David. Okay. Uh, he said to them, How is it then that David, in the spirit, calls him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? 
and nobody was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. Okay, so Jesus finally shuts them up. <laughs> They're like done asking questions because they've got ruined over and over and over again. What Jesus is saying here is he, he quotes the, uh, the psalm written by David. And in the psalm, Jesus, uh, David is saying, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. So, when he's talking about my Lord, he's talking about the Christ, the Messiah. And when he says the Lord, he's talking about God. So, he's saying, God said to the Messiah, who's my Lord, sit at my right hand. So, Jesus is saying, look, David referred to his son, who is the Messiah, his line, not as his son, but as his Lord. As someone over him. So how could he be his son if he's his Lord? And he's basically establishing the fact that the Messiah has always been around. That the Messiah is not to come, but has always been and is now here. So they are waiting for someone that David called my Lord. And Jesus is saying, you're going to be waiting forever if you're waiting for someone new. Anyways, that ends the discussion between him and the Pharisees. That's the end of chapter tr- chapter 22. Uh, chapter 23, Jesus gets into some long stuff. You know what? Let's just let's just go for it. It's it's all these woes and it's just it's it's a bit repetitive, but here we go. Uh, chapter 23. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples. So now he's moved off the Pharisee battle and he's gone back to the crowds and to his disciples. Verse 2. The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So practice and observe whatever they tell you, but not what they do. For they preach, but they do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their, their phylacteries, <laughs> for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. That's the stuff they wear. So this this shows that they're Pharisees and holy, so they make these things really noticeable is what he's saying. And they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. So Jesus gets back to the first shall be last, the last shall be first. Whoever is great shall be less, and whoever is less shall be great. Whoever is the servant shall be the master, whoever is the master shall be you know, This whole flipping of things. And he's comparing them to the system that they're used to seeing in the temple. In the temple, they had this ranking system of Pharisees were above everybody else and rabbis were above their students. And he's saying, look, in my kingdom, everybody's equal. There's no above and below. Everybody's equal and there's one teacher, there's one rabbi, there's one Lord, there's one, you know, authority. And so he's saying, things are about to change. The old system in the temple with the Pharisees, that's the old system and I'm bringing a new system and it's all about to change, and you're going to be brothers. You're going to be equal, and there's going to be one leader amongst all of you. Verse 13, 
But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. So he's saying, you know, woe to the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious leaders, who are constantly keeping people out. They're saying, you're not good enough, you're not good enough, you're not good enough. Also, that's basically what you were saying before. They put a heavy burden on you, they, which which goes back to what we read a few chapters ago where Jesus says, come to me, my burden is light, right? I'm not going to burden you. I'm going to make you have greater life, not be judged and condemned. And then and then they say, look, they, they go all over the place to find someone who's going to follow them like without question and just be completely devoted to them and do everything right. So he's going to do that. And this will end up making a worse Pharisee than all of them combined, okay? 16. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing, but if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing, but if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it, and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it, and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven and swears by the throne of God, and by him who sits upon it. So he's talking about the Pharisees trying to get around the law. And you're not supposed to swear on the temple. You're not supposed to, you know, you're not supposed to swear. And so they're saying, well, you can't swear on the temple, but you can swear on the gold on the temple. So this was a classic Pharisee move, right, of we we know what we're not supposed to do, but we're going to find a way to do it that satisfies the letter of the law, but breaks the spirit of the law. And he's saying, what do you guys who do it? And he goes, it, it, it doesn't even make sense. So he's just kind of dismantling their entire kind of loophole system they've created. All right, so verse 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. So once again, he's saying you're messing up the whole system. You're forgetting about the spirit of the law, the important things, the heart, and you're focusing on the minor details. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. So he's continuing this mantra. For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside may be clean. So he's talking once again, your insides, your spirit, your soul, that is what's killing you. That is what's dirty. You focus too much on the outside, the appearances. Verse 27, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, If we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are the sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? 
Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of the innocent Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Barakiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. All right, so we'll stop there. That's, well... You don't forget it. We're almost done. Let's finish chapter 23, and then we'll go back and talk about that. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not. See your houses left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's the end of chapter 23. So Jesus is really laying it down. He's saying, Woe to you. You're cursed. You're accursed. That's your woe. Things are not good for you because you're dirty inside and clean outside. You focus on the outward and you're dead on the inside. You're corrupt inside, but you're you're putting out a, a good face and a moral face. And that's why he calls them hypocrites. They're actors. They're not real. Who they're pretending to be as Pharisees and holy men is not who they really are. And then he says, look, you're, you always say, if we live back in the day... We wouldn't have turned our backs on the prophets or God. But he's saying, but you're doing it today. And not only are you doing it today, but you are from those. Those are your fathers. You're admitting that you're from that line of people who killed the prophets. And he's saying, just to prove it, you're going to be doing it again. In fact, in just a few days, you're going to kill me, is what he knows. And he's saying it. And then he says, Jerusalem, you were a great city. I chose you. I built you up, the temple and the people. And I begged you many times you know, God begged you many times to come back, to return. That's what that's what Jeremiah is all about. It's just begging over and over and over, return to me, return to me, please return to me. And you never did. You never returned. And so now this place is desolate. Now God is no longer here. And so he's talking about all this stuff that's happened. And there's a shift happening away from the nation of Israel, away from the Jewish people as being the kingdom to Really, those people who will come to the wedding feast. So the kingdom is shifting now. And he's and he's 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 burdened over this, right? Jesus doesn't love that fact. He loves Israel. He loves Jerusalem. He loves the temple. I mean, God built that. And he's saying, you have not embraced the invitation that has been offered to you over and over and over again. And so now, this invitation will be going out to all those that you have kept out forever. So that is the end of chapter 23. Uh, the outward battles between Jesus and the Pharisees, this real verbal battle, is um, really heating up and it's about to come to a head. So we have just 24, 25, 26, 27, just five more chapters uh, to really finish Matthew and it's not even the last chapter where he dies so he's dying before that so we're going to get there soon um, Jesus is very aware of it he's not necessarily looking forward to it uh, but he is looking forward to what it will result in the kingdom of God which you are welcome to so come enjoy your seat at the table have a great day we'll talk to you tomorrow.